I'd like to speak to you along the lines of confidence. Confidence. And my personal experience, I've witnessed uh, a lot of individuals, particularly Jesus followers, who lack the confidence that we, what we are given because of what Jesus has done for us. I want to talk to you about your confidence. Not so much self-confidence, which has its validity, but your confidence in Jesus. Now, if you're here today and immediately you're like, wow, this isn't going to work for me. I don't really believe in Jesus. I just kind of got invited by a friend or tricked by my mom. And uh, you're here. The great thing about this message is going to give you an opportunity to kind of peer into what would be offered to you or afforded to you if you did receive the free gift of Jesus and his forgiveness in your life. And it is extraordinary. How many know there are many, many blessings and benefits that come with following Jesus and receiving his forgiveness? Can I get a witness? So, confidence. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 35. It reads like this. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. No doubt, ultimately, Jesus, but I think the next verse outlines part of the reward. For you have need of endurance. You have need of endurance, comma, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. I believe part of the reward that comes with confidence in Jesus is you'll have the ability to endure and you will do the will of God and then you'll see him in eternity one day and you will be with him forever and ever and ever without end. Somebody say amen. I'm really excited to share this with you. Would you join me in prayer? God, thank you for the moments that we share as a community. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Lord, uh, there's so many needs that are represented in this auditorium, so many needs that are represented in all of our different locations and campuses and those watching online. You know what we have need of before we ask. So we thank you in these moments, Lord. You're going to give us perspective. Help us to restore our confidence and trust in you. And whatever it is that will face us this week, we trust you that you will work all things together for good. We love you. God, thank you for what you're doing with the Mariners. Wow, they're great. And protect our players at their time off for the Seattle Seahawks. And Lord, if there's anyone in our church that doesn't cheer for the Seattle Seahawks, I pray you'd change their heart or they would change churches. In Jesus' name, amen. I only mean that mostly. <sighs> are you, um, are you like me? I, um, I was, and I don't mean this rudely, but I was, I was slightly idealistic before having children. And I'm still, I still hold to a lot of ideals, and I'm very proud of them. But one of the idealistic ideas we had, Chelsea and I, when we started to prepare to have a family, and by the grace of God, we were given three beautiful babies. But we determined we're not going to be that couple that changes the decor that moves the breakable vase or vase. I don't know how you say it in your family. We're like, you know what? We're just going to train our kids not to touch fragile things. That's what we're going to do. We're going to, you know what? I like that vase or that vase. You know what? I like this nice chair. I like the white leather couch. I like it. And I'm going to keep it and I'm going to train my kids. Worst decision we ever made as parents. Everything broke. Everything broke with the kids, and, 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 and maybe you're smarter parents, and, and you know that if you put something extremely fragile, especially if it's valuable, and you put it around toddlers, it's only a matter of time. It's only a matter of time, and that thing is going to shatter. 
I wonder sometimes when it comes to our confidence is Jesus followers. If sometimes we're kind of in a rhythm and things are going pretty well in our life and our journey with Jesus, I wonder if we struggle sometimes thinking, well, it's only a matter of time and, you know, I'm going to falter. I'm going to fail. Maybe I can't keep this up. Maybe I can't sustain this. Maybe this won't last. It reminds me of playing golf at one of my favorite golf courses in the world and one of the courses that is world famous. A friend invited me and I was so excited. If you're a golfer, just bear with me if you're not a golfer, but I was so excited about this golf trip. I, changed, I got new grips on my clubs. I mean, I was pumped. They were bright blue. I'm just excited and I practiced a ton. I, I stopped parenting for like a week to work on my game. We get to the course, first tee, I can barely feel my arms. I'm just like, I don't even know how I can swing. I'm so nervous, I'm so excited. All these emotions pulsating through my body and you wouldn't believe it, first hole par. Second hole par, par is good, it's what's expected, it's, it's a good score. Third hole par, fourth hole par. Now I notice immediately that my two friends, no one is saying a word to me. No one's even speaking to me. Apparently my game is so fragile they didn't even want to say a word to me for fear for a double bogey. A double bogey is really bad. Triple bogey is even worse. It wouldn't take very long for me to experience both. By the sixth hole, a bogey happened, then a double, then a triple, and then my friends just burst into laughter, and they're like, that's why we didn't talk to you for the first five holes. We knew you couldn't keep it up, but we were pulling for you. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if sometimes that's kind of how we feel about our faith how we feel about our journey. When did our faith become so fragile? When did it become the vase in the middle of the room with toddlers running everywhere? It's only a matter of time. You can't keep this up. You can't sustain this. I mean, think about the life we've been called to. For those who follow Jesus or are considering following Jesus, let me shine a little light on the life we're called to. We are called to live, love, and look like Jesus. We're called to live the faithful life. We're called to live the holy life. We're called to live the obedient life. We're called to live the consistent life. We're called to live the true life. We're called to live the straight and narrow life. I mean, should I go on? This is the life we're called to? And... Maybe you've experienced this sinking sensation. I know I'm even par through five holes, but at any moment, here comes the slice. At any moment, I'm, I can't sustain this. I can't keep this up. Maybe you've had a good week, good two weeks, good few months, good season, but you know I, inside I... I know I'm gonna just, I'm kind of suppressing who I really am. I, I'm really not this kind. I'm really not this considerate. I'm really not this compassionate. I'm, I'm not, I, I'm just, and eventually it's just gonna, it, it's just gonna come out. And maybe this isn't really who I am. Maybe this is all, maybe I'm a fraud. Maybe I'm a fake. What's the point? I keep thinking to myself that I could be like so-and-so, and that's one of the symptoms, isn't it? One of the dead giveaways that you kind of are living with this lack of confidence in your journey with Jesus and what he's done for you is you start looking at other people in the community and go, see, see, I could never be like him. I could never be like her. I mean, they're just so kind, so generous, so loving. And if I was to be like them, it, it wouldn't last. Have you ever thought, is my faith just a phase? Is this just a phase? Am I just kind of going through a phase? Am I going to falter soon? It's just a matter 
of time. Oh, here comes the bogey. Oh, triple bogey. Yep, that's who I am. I'm a bogey golfer. If you're a golfer, these are really connecting with you. If you're not, you're already lost. And for that, I'm not sorry. For golf, is God's game. <laughs> I don't know why I say some things I say. It's so dumb. But maybe you've been there. Maybe you thought to yourself, I don't know if I can keep this up. Maybe you're here and you go, no, I'm pretty confident. God's with me. He's for me. I'm going to make it. Well, maybe you've helped others to feel that it's just a matter of time. We do this to each other, you know. This, this literally happened not long ago. Someone approached me. I didn't know them. Didn't know their name. They said, this is opening statements. Hey, brother. Oh, hey, uh, how are you? Good. I got one question for you. We hadn't even met yet. Got one question for you. You got a group of guys around you, be real with you, keep you accountable. Brother, you got to be careful. You could fall. And I said, what's your name again? (laughs) We haven't even exchanged names. And now I'm fearing that I'm going to fall. Why do we do that? Because we believe, well, that's how we got to encourage each other. Hey, you better keep this up. Fat chance, but you should try. I I love Christians. We We use it. Hey, stay faithful, which is... You might not. Think about it. And if you don't, you're going to hurt a lot of people and hurt yourself. God bless. Go in his grace. (laughs) I mean, I remember saying goodbye to that guy, just kind of like getting in my car like, am I close to falling? I I don't know. My wife would kill me. My mom would dig me up and kill me again. I I don't know. I I don't think so. But that's how oftentimes we, we propagate a fear-based connection with God without even knowing it. Because, hey, 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 if you don't stay true, keep your eye on the ball, really bad things can happen. And so we all kind of walk around like, what are you? I'm a, I'm a Christian. I can prove my point about confidence when it comes to believers. Compliment a Christian and watch how awkward it gets. This is my favorite. Hey, man, you are a great singer. Oh, Oh, please, uh, please, no, it's, uh, it's not me, it's the Lord. <laughs> I've met the Lord, you are not him. No, I, 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 you know, we don't even know how to relate to authentic compliments. Patronizing is one thing, but you know, someone who's really saying, hey, you're, you're really good at that. Oh, I, I don't, I'm just, I'm, I'm just a worm, you know. It's all the Lord. Yeah, we get what you're saying, but we can't even take compliments without being wonky. Next time someone says something that's true about you, you could just say something like, thank you. And if you really are confident, say, you know what? I tend to agree with you. (laughs) God gave me this gift and I'm enjoying it. Thank you very much. What happened to our confidence? I'm not talking about confidence in yourself, but confidence in Jesus. Paul writes to his star pupil, And he says, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong because you've been forgiven, you've been covered, you've been accepted, you are loved, you are his son, you are his daughter. You have the right to be confident in Jesus. You can be confident. And and the writer of Hebrews says, uh, you're going to need this confidence. You're going to need this confidence. Now, this is interesting because Hebrews 10.35 says, do not throw away 
your confidence. Now, this, this word, throw away, is actually one word. And, and this word has a, a, an active meaning and a passive meaning. This is very interesting. You study this word, you'll notice that the first meaning of throw away is, if you remember blind Bartimaeus, who was healed by Jesus, he takes off his cloak and he throws it and goes to Jesus. That's, one, that's the active picture of the word throw away. But the passive picture of this root word is a tree dropping its leaves over time. So the Bible is telling us, the writer of Hebrews is telling us that one of the ways we lose confidence is not just going, I don't believe in Jesus anymore. You didn't save me. You didn't forgive me. Most people don't struggle with that. Most of us struggle with the fact that our confidence leaks. Our confidence drops leaf by leaf. Culture, surroundings, circumstances, failures, weaknesses, challenges, and before you know it, leaf by leaf, all of a sudden, you are bare with a lack of confidence. I love the seasons in the most beautiful city in the world with God's football team here. And right now at our house, all of our leaves are providing perfect privacy for our bedroom. It's awesome. I get to leave all the shades up. It's great. But come winter, it completely changes the dynamic of our room. All the leaves fall, and we're closing the shades when we're climbing in bed at night because it's just it's exposed. We're all familiar with dropping leaves in this beautiful city, and isn't fall a wonderful time of year? I love autumn, but we know what it's like to just watch a tree in your own yard just drop leaf by leaf by leaf, and then all of a sudden, it's empty of leaves. The Bible says that's how we lose our confidence, little by little. That's why, and I don't know if you've experienced this, you'll have whole seasons that you'll look back on and go, how was I so confident then? And how do I lack so much confidence now? You know what I'm talking about? Like, like in your 20s, I mean, you, you, you feel like that was my prime, you know, in my 20s. Woo, I look good in my 20s. But now I'm in my 30s, and if you're like me, you're staring 40 in the face, and it's coming ready or not. Isn't it amazing? But the Bible says we're supposed to go from strength to strength. Glory to glory, grace to grace, that our confidence is supposed to grow with the, with, the, with the passing days. But oftentimes the opposite is true. We start to second guess ourselves and the leaves begin to drop. And, and then, of course, for Christians, if those of you that aren't familiar with Christians, what we do is we cloak our lack of confidence in false humility. So instead of we're saying, oh, actually, my lack of it's not like I'm just humble. But of course, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking of yourself at all. It's a focus on Jesus. And part of humility is also accepting who you really are. And so this lack of confidence is going to hinder us in our future. It's going to hinder us in God's plan and purpose for our life. Did you see it? Hebrews 35 connected to Hebrews. Hebrews 10.35 connected to Hebrews 10.36. Look what it says. He says, don't throw away your confidence. It, it's going to bring with it a reward. Here's part of the reward. For you have need of endurance. Listen to what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He said, listen, you got to put your confidence in Jesus because it's, you're going to need endurance. The root word for endurance means stand your ground. You're going to need confidence in Jesus so you can stand your ground. Now watch this. Oh, I got so excited when I saw this. Comma, listen to the language now. 
so that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what is promised. I said, I read it, I was like, now that is very much assuming on the reader that if you have confidence in Jesus and stand your ground, listen to it again, you're going to do the will of God. You're going to do the will of God. I'll read it again. You have need of endurance, so when you've done the will of God, you're going to receive what's promised. Now that's crazy because if you've been in church for any length of time, the will of God has become the most mysterious thing about life. What has God called me to do? I don't know. You know how many emails pastors get? Can I meet with you? I need help. I gotta figure out what God's plan is for my life. And God's plan is this elusive, mysterious location, place, space, destination that maybe, just maybe, if I'm lucky, I'll arrive to. And if you want to meet with me, so I'll tell you the will of God. I don't know what the will of God is for your life. If you're 5'5 and 110 pounds, I know it's not linebacker for the Seahawks. But I don't know what the will of God is. But do you you see this in this passage? If you'll have confidence in Jesus, in a moment we'll talk about confidence in Jesus and what he's done. You'll be able to stand your ground. We'll establish what that ground is. And then you will do the will of God. My mom used to say growing up, it is hard to miss the will of God, son. It is hard to miss God's plan for your life. God is faithful. What he started in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it. It is hard to miss the will of God. If you'll focus on Jesus and receive the gift of forgiveness that he's given you, you are going to walk in to God's plan and purpose for your life. Where is that confidence amongst Jesus' followers? I know what the will of God is. I'm going to fulfill the will of God. I think sometimes we treat the plan and purpose of God and we think of it like this. Imagine I'm home with my three kids and I say, kids, get in the car. We're going to eat. So they all pile in the car because they're obedient in Jesus' name. (laughs) My oldest turned 14 yesterday. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're counting, that's two years away from being on the road with you. Pray for the Smith family. This is, this is real. I'm already a liability on the road. Now you're going to have one of my sons on the road. Why do we let 16-year-olds drive? How are we not passing legislation to change this? This is not okay, America. Moving on. Imagine I put my kids in the car. Come on, we're going to go eat. They all pile in the car, and I go hide in the house. <laughs> And my kids are just in the car, ready to go on the journey, the plan dad's made. Finally, they kind of, still in the garage, kind of meander out of the car. Dad? Dad? Silence. I'm crouched behind the couch. Ha, 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 I tricked them. They walk around the couch, they're like, Dad? Is that you? Oh, yeah, you got me. What were you doing, Dad? Tricking you. Ha, 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 ha. We weren't even going to dinner. I just wanted to trick you. That's not a good father. That's a weird father. (laughs) And though there are times where we're to seek God and find him, the overwhelming evidence of Scripture is that God is with us and never forsakes us. And when he's got a plan and puts you in the car, he will not leave the car. He will drive the car. God is faithful. When he says get in the car, it's because he's driving. And you may not know where he's driving, but you're going to get there when he wants you to get there. And you're going to do the plan and purpose of God. Where is the confidence that we're supposed to have in Jesus? Woo-hoo! Jesus is driving my life, and he's a good driver. 
I have confidence. In fact, when things seem to be inconsistent with his perfect plan and purpose for my life, I again am confident that he who started a good work in me will be faithful to complete it, and he works all things together for good. So I know he's driving my life. Where is that confidence? Well, oftentimes it's inconsistent because we convolute it with self-confidence. And one of the greatest hindrances to us standing our ground and remembering who we are and what God has given us is our own faulty performance in this life. But our confidence is not in our personal performance. Our confidence is not in our track record. Our confidence is not in our resume. It's in his. Here's what the same passage, Hebrews chapter 10, this is where we get confidence. Hebrews 10 and verse 9. Let's read this together. It says, then behold, I have come to do your will. Now look, look, this is Jesus now. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Now we got to stop here to understand the firm foundation and the solid ground that we're standing on. Please hear this language and hear it clearly. The scripture clearly says Jesus came to do what with the first way of relating God? It's been called the old covenant, which is an uh, uh, ancient way of saying the old way of connecting and relating to God. And that old way was typified by performance, rules, regulations. That's what defined that old way. What does it say Jesus does with the old way? He does away with it. He does away with it so that he can establish, listen to the word now, the first, excuse me, the second way of relating to him. The first way is by your performance. The second way is by his performance. And now it is not my deeds that save me, for they cannot. It is the performance of Jesus that saves me. And if I will believe in his performance and not my performance, I am forgiven forever, accepted, love covered, and I am made right with God permanently and eternally. That is my firm foundation and solid ground on which I stand. One of the greatest challenges to standing our ground and enduring in this life is that we take some of the old way of relating God and we mix it up with the new way of relating to God, and it leads to the same broken conclusion. Legalism, judgmentalism, comparison, competition, and now it's who's the best, the brightest, the fastest, the strongest, the most disciplined, who has the most willpower, because those are the leaders in community. But that's not the teachings of Jesus. I want to say this. The Old Testament's relevance now is only to the degree that it points you to Jesus and the second way that he has established that we relate to God. We are not to take the law and mix it in with God's gift of grace in Jesus Christ. When you do that, you will not stand your ground. For now, what has leaked into your doctrine and view and perspective of God is that there is a percentage of your relationship that is contingent upon your performance, and that's called error. None, please hear me now, none of your relationship with God or your standing with God has anything to do with your performance. (laughs) For if it did, then your performance would be more powerful than Jesus. 
You would have more faith in your performance. There are people who believe, I've accepted Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. And they have believed now, I've been made right with God. But if I'm not careful, I will be made unright with God by my performance. So who is more powerful, you or the son of the living God? The only the firm ground we stand on is his performance. And it has nothing to do with ours. That's why we call it. Really good news. That's why you can be in the midst of temptation and even giving in to temptation, and you can declare over your life, I'm accepted, I'm loved, I'm righteous, I'm forgiven, I'm his. Now you may think I've lost my mind, but I challenge you, I encourage you, for your consideration. Next time, you're having a moment of weakness. Next time, maybe you're even engaging into a form of sin that in the midst of that, that you would declare the truth about the solid ground you stand on. I am righteous. That is the only power you have to live the life that looks like Jesus. Now, our confidence is in Jesus. We'll we're, we're, we're just, just read just more of these verses. Look at, look at verse, verse 10. And by that, we will have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all, once for all, once for all, once for all. Every priest stands at the service offering repeatedly the same sacrifice, which can never take away sins. But when Christ is offered for all time, all time, all time, all time, a single sacrifice for all sins, if you will, he, he sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down because it's done. He sat down because you're forgiven forever. He sat down because you're covered. He sat down because you're accepted. He sat down because you're forever pleasing. He sat down because he's done. He is finished. It is over. You can't add to it or take away from it. He sat down, which would set some people free today. If he sat down, would you calm down? If he sat down, would you relax a little bit? If he sat down, can we stop being constipated Christians? What are you doing? I'm trying to just serve God. Hey, his yoke is easy. His burden is light. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to Jesus, and he'll give you rest for your soul. No more striving. My life's defined by believing and accepting what Jesus has given to me. He has sat down. Since when did the finished work of Jesus become so fragile? Since when did my faith become so fragile? Sometimes we live with a demeanor and attitude that leads us to believe that Jesus sat down, but when he saw what you did last weekend, he stood up. And he thought, oh no! Everything I've done has been undone in Vegas over a weekend. Now, by no means am I making light of sin for every sin put Jesus on the cross. But the only way we can overcome sin is not by fixating on sin, but by fixating on the one who finished sin and covered sin and forgave sin forever for all who believe. Ha ha! Man, I'm getting happier and happier today. And I started out the day pretty happy. A couple days ago, I got Invisalign. Chelsea made me, said my teeth are getting crooked. I disagree with her, and they put those little nodules on there, and they're scraping up my mouth right now, but I'm still happy. The more I preach, the more they scrape, but my soul feels good. (laughs) Thanks, babe. 
Don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. In a moment, we'll talk about how you can minimize the leaf droppage. I'll show you in a moment how you can minimize leaking confidence in Jesus. But he says you're going to need that confidence. It's going to help you stand your ground. Your ground is on the righteousness given to you by the finished work of Jesus. And then guess what? You're just going to do the will of God. You're just going to do the will of God. Man, God's going to work all things together. Steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. You're going to do the will of God. Now, about this time, if you've done your research and study in Scripture and you've been around church for a while or teachings of Jesus, you're, you're, you're thinking to yourself, oh, okay, all right, all right, Judah. Hold on a second now. You better read the whole chapter. You better read the whole chapter because there are some people here right now, and I don't blame you for this. You're thinking, Judah, you definitely have not started reading in verse 26, which leads to verse 31 because um, I appreciate everything you're saying, but you're talking about how it's not about our performance, but it is clear here in Hebrews 10 it is. Are you ready for this passage? Because this is what we do. Over the centuries, Christians have started to truly accept all that Jesus has done for them. But then we find passages that we go, see, it's not that good. It still hinges so much on your performance. Exhibit one, exhibit A. Here we go. You ready for this? Buckle your proverbial seatbelts. It's going to get intense. Now, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. See? See, Judah, you better balance this out. But all that's left is a fearful expectation of judgment. It gets worse. And a fury of fire that will consume the adversary. Anyone who's set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much more do you think the punishment will be if you will be, will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and profaned the blood of the covenant by which he is sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? I mean, you're like, Jude, is this not true? Oh, it's true. The Bible means it. For we know, here's, here's a line used in so many movies, vengeance is mine and I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Yeah. Yeah. Appreciate your grace message, but you better include that too. And that's how we kind of unravel the whole thing. Man, it was so good until that little passage there. And you know how many times we've done this as believers over the course of centuries? We're just starting to accept what Jesus has truly done and we find passages that we misappropriate and take out of context. And we go, see, 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 told you, told you. <laughs> do, you do you know one of the criticisms of Paul the Apostle who, wrote, who writes at least half of the New Testament? Do you know what his criticisms were? Your, your message is too good. Your message is too good. Preachers everywhere that preach Jesus should be criticized for being too good. I just want to say that. We should be criticized for one reason. Too good. Too good. Too nice, too kind, too loving, too caring, too easy, except Jesus, forgive it. Nope, nope, too good. You're in good company. That was the criticism of Paul. Paul was not criticized for like, man, your sermons are really intense, but they feel good. I like them. Because see, when we misappropriate passages like this and use them to propagate fear, that works to an extent. It's proven over history. Fear-based connection with God can motivate you. Be so afraid of what might happen if you don't go to church, you end up going. But that is not the goodness of God that leads us to transformation, repentance, and change. 
Now, let's stop for a moment and ask ourselves, when is this book written and who is it for? Well, research shows and study shows and almost unanimously all the scholars and readers and writers and thinkers agree, it's for Messianic Jews living in Rome at the time. And in 49 AD, or best we can tell, ballpark around there, we see that there's a persecution that rises up, and I believe that's in verse 32. He says, I recall the former days. Those former days, we think, are 49 AD, where in Rome, the current ruler started to notice that the Jews were changing. They were accepting their Messiah. Now, it's interesting to note, historically, as best we can tell, when the Jewish people were living under the old way of relating to God, which is rules, regulation, performance, tradition, custom, there was no, how should I say, disturbance in the empire. But when these Jews accepted the living way, the one true God, the way, the truth, and the life, the resurrection and the life, who was, who was dead, buried, and rose again, and they started to emulate him in their lifestyle because of their transformed heart, and they started telling people in the streets that you don't have to earn it or deserve it, you just receive it and believe it, all of a sudden Rome said, wait! You are disturbing the culture and economy. You're out. And so, Messianic Jews were being removed from Rome. Now, some who did not believe in Messiah were also removed, but from best we tell, from best we can tell, we think the primary target was those Jews who had accepted Jesus as the living God and the Messiah and the Savior. So the pressure now, fast forward, we believe that this second persecution is under the tyranny of Nero. I'm sure you've heard of him. Approximately 64 AD, Rome has a catastrophic fire, and most of Rome is devastated. Guess who Nero blames? He blames the Messianic Jews who've made their way back into Rome, and he starts killing them, beheading them, feeding them to lions, and eating their babies. It's horrific and horrible. Now, why do you think the writer of Hebrews talks so strongly about going back to an old way of relating God, to God. He is specifically speaking to Messianic Jews who know that Jesus is the Messiah, but for fear of persecution and being kicked out of their favorite city called Rome, they are going to make a deliberate decision to say, Jesus, I know you're true, but you are inconvenient for my lifestyle. I would like to go back to the old way, I'm going to sacrifice animals again, believe that that blood will cover my sin, and I will connect with you through my own performance. That is why the writer of Hebrews goes, are you serious? You have accepted your Messiah, and you know he's true? You know he is the only one? And you're going to go back to sacrificing animals and believing in your own performance? If you do that, you will bring judgment on your head, and you will become, notice the language, an adversary of God. Now, we've used a portion of Scripture like this to tell believers who on the weekends are driving their kids to soccer practice with a Capri Sun pouch, who are doing their best to follow Jesus by the grace of God and the help of his Spirit, they come to church like this and we say, you better be careful. You see that passage right there? If you deliberately turn, you will become an adversary of God. And how bad do you think the punishment will be because you have profaned the Spirit of grace? Ladies and gentlemen, that language is reserved for a very select few. If you are sitting here today wondering, is that me? It's definitely not. Because if you deliberately turn your back on God, you don't care if it's you. You're desensitized. There's people who believe they've profaned the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe that happened to me. If you care, maybe that you did, you haven't. 
You're still alive to the things of God. But we take passages like this and we undo the gospel because we don't understand its context. I mean, look at this. It says anyone who has set aside the law of Moses without mercy, how much more the punishment? He's saying one thing to set aside the law of Moses, you are setting aside the grace of Jesus. You are saying, I reject you, Jesus. And you are inconvenient, uncomfortable, and I will choose, I will sustain myself, save myself, and I will go back to the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, and fulfilling the Torah on my own. Why is the Hebrew author, why is he so passionate? Because he's saying, don't you dare go back. There's nothing back there. Furthermore, he, he says, you're going to need confidence. Don't throw it away because you're going to need endurance. Can you believe the writer of Hebrews isn't writing them and saying, get out of Dodge. Get out of town, man. What are you guys doing? Get out of there. Nero is a monster. Run! Run for the hills! Look at our heritage. Look at our legacy. He says, don't you leave Rome. You stay right there. You stay right there. That's where God called you. It's a culture center. We're making a difference. We're going to change the empire. We're going to change the emperor. You, you listen, you, you don't, you, you, hey, where's your confidence? But, 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 but they're killing our babies. They're killing my family members. How bad is it in this country? Oh, it's bad. This world is broken. There's wars and rumors of wars and pestilence and disease and hatred and division. And it works its way into our schools and the streets of our city, and it is horrific, but we are not called to run for the hills. We're called to recover our confidence, stand our ground, and fulfill the will of God and change cultures and cities and societies. No, we, we're not going anywhere. <laughs> Let them know. We thrive in difficult times because our confidence is not in our conditions. Our confidence is in the finished work of Jesus. <laughs> so when it gets bad, we stand strong and we fulfill the will of God and whole cultures can change as, as, as a result. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, you look at that really strong passage and you think to yourself, I don't know, Judah, that, that could apply. Can I give you one more proof that it doesn't? Look at the final verse of Hebrews chapter 10. Look at this. You want to talk about confidence? You want to talk about confidence? Here's how the chapter concludes. The writer says, hey, <laughs> we're not those people. In case you were wondering, that's not who you are. In case you are, I got confidence that you are not those believers. No, I know who you are. You're not those who shrink back and are destroyed. You're those who have faith and preserve their souls. Church, do you think God has saved you so that you can have a devastating finish? Do you think God transformed you, changed your heart, set your life in a new trajectory just so he can play some sadistic game with your life and see you crash and burn at the end? Has God taken us this far so that we'll go back again? If God has chosen you, God has called you, I am confident today that I can stand up here and tell you that you, sir, you, ma'am, you are not those people. You are not going back furthermore. What's back there anyways? Nothing. Hollow, empty, lifeless, lack of satisfaction and fulfillment. No, no, he gets life and life more abundantly. I know who I am. 
I'm saved, I'm righteous, I'm covered, I'm forgiven, I'm loved, I'm accepted, and I'm pleasing in his sight. I stand on that ground, I look forward, I face forward, more committed to the future than we are the past. And I know that God has good things in store for me in the future. My steps are established and ordered of the Lord. Where is that confidence in your life? Can I speak to those who kind of lead the culture in your home or your condo with your roommates or with your children, you're a single mom or a mom and a dad or a single father and you're, you're, you're leading the culture in your home. May the culture of your home be a culture of confidence in Jesus. We're blessed. I'm speaking over my kids all the time. You're blessed. You're gonna, I remember growing up, mom will remember this. Every night I was prayed over, my dad would say, and may Judah and Chelsea, actually we were not brother and sister, that's weird, we're married. May Judah and Wendy, somebody like, oh no. <laughs> Slight slip there. May Judah and Wendy follow the Lord all the days of their life. And that was speak over, spoken over my life. I'm speaking that over our kids, over our home. We're going to walk with the Lord all the days of our life. Woo, where, what other life is there? We're moving forward with God. I got confidence. Well, you've had a rough year. Yeah, but my confidence only grows because it's in him and his finished work. What I love about Hebrews 10, 39 is it transitions the language. If you see it, it goes from you, 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 and then verse 39 goes to we. It goes, you, 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 and then it goes, hey, we as a community. We, we. And now it starts talking community language. Now you can circle back because earlier in the chapter, there's three, let us, let us, let us, which is also community language. Can I say how we can minimize the leaf droppage in our life? If your confidence in Jesus leaks like mine does, can I tell you one of the ways we can minimize that as a church, as a community? Look at this. The first one says, let us hold fast. Draw near. That's good too. With full assurance of faith, with our hearts. Listen to this part. There's so much more here, but let me just focus on this. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Sprinkled clean from an evil conscience. Your conscience has been covered and is in a renewal process. But you know there is such thing as an evil conscience. And you know what that conscience is? It's the conscience inside of you that says, see, see, you did it again. See, you're a fraud. You sitting up in this church right now taking notes in your Bible as if you know what you did. It's that little voice inside of you. And the Bible says it's an evil conscience. You've been set free from that evil conscience. You don't have to listen to that evil conscience. You're not obligated to adhere to the evil conscience. For there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Sometimes you need to tell your inner you, shut up. Shut up. I know who I am. I'm very aware of my weaknesses. I'm very aware of my performance. I'm very aware of my bad weekend. But I know who I am because of what he has done. And my conscience is being renewed. Woo! You can talk to that little voice on the inside of you. And that leads us to the second let us. Let us hold fast the confession. I love that word confession. Don't, don't be mad at this, but sometimes you need to open up your big mouth. Dude, I have a big mouth. You know what I mean. Open up your mouth. The Bible says the power, death, and life are in your tongue. And speak out what you know to be true. I'm not talking about stuff that isn't true, stuff that isn't true. 
but speak things that are absolutely transcendent and true, and that is you're forgiven, you're righteous, you're strong, you're confident, you're his, he's a provider, and he'll do for you what you cannot do for yourself. Speak it out. They say we listen to ourselves more than anybody in the world, that you believe yourself so many more times over anybody else in your world. You need, see, one of the reasons in a moment the whole band's going to join Philip and we're going to sing is because sometimes you need to hear yourself say, Lord, I give you my heart. It is well with my soul. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And you are hearing yourself confessing what is true and it will help you to stand your ground and keep those leaves on the tree of life, you need it. And lastly, I love this, consider. Let us consider how to stir one another up. Let us invent ways to encourage each other. Let us invent ways to build each other up. I'm not talking about patronizing. I'm not talking about saying this, that, and that's really not true, but things like, wow, you're so strong. I, I, I'm so encouraged every time I'm around you. You know, there's, there's no one like you. You are 100% unique. And don't you forget that God's forgiven you. Don't you forget that you'll never be more righteous than you are today. I know what you did. I appreciate you sharing it with me. I'm going to pray for you. You're healed. You're whole. You're forgiven. Now let's continue to move forward this week and believe for the best from God. Can you imagine living in a church like that? Where instead of going, hey, 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 you better watch out. We say, remember who you are. You are righteous. And you remember growing up, being a kid, maybe unconsciously in a place you shouldn't be. And some adult came by and said, hey, where do you think you're going? And you're like, uh, uh, I don't know, trying to find my mom and dad. Well, this is off limits, young man. Okay, I'm sorry. Tonight, today, maybe you're wondering, where, where am I going? Maybe you're starting to start to wonder, maybe I'm not going where I think I'm going. Maybe I'm not going to make it. Where do you think you're going? I'd like to answer that question. I know where you're going. I know where you're going. You're forgiven. You're chosen. You're loved. I know where you're going. You're not going back. We're not those who shrink back. We're those who believe to the saving of the soul. I tell you where you're going. You're where God is going to direct you to go. You're going to fulfill the plan, purpose, and destiny God has for your life. That's where you're going. We ought to have that confidence. I know where, excuse me, where do you think you're going? I am going towards the plan and purpose of God for my life, and I am following Jesus. That's where I'm going, sir. That's where we're going, church. You hear me, church home. I know where we're going. We're going forward. I know where we're going. We're going into the grand plan and purpose of God, and we're going wherever Jesus is going. Woo-hoo-hoo. We're not going back. Somebody needs to throw themselves a little party today. I am not going back in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. It is transcendent. It is extraordinary. And we are overwhelmed when considering what you have provided for us in this life. Lord, it's my prayer today that confidence would permeate church home, that confidence would rise and grow and consume your people today for what you have done, you have completed, and you have finished it is over. It is done. We are yours. So, Lord, we turn our attention to you. And as a result, we stand our ground. 
and we anticipate continuing to fulfill your will for our life. What a privilege and what an honor. If you're here today and you say, Judah, I'd like to become a follower of Jesus. I want to follow Jesus. The Bible says God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. If you'd like to receive that life and forgiveness that only Jesus offers in one moment of faith, I'm going to ask you on the count of three all over the auditorium, all over different locations and campuses and even those online, if you're here and say, I want to make that decision, I want you to lift up your hand and put it right back down on the count of three. One, two, three. If that's you, just shoot up your hand all over the room. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I receive the forgiveness that only Jesus offers. God, thank you that forgiveness flows freely at church home. And whom the Son sets free is free all the way. We thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for the greatest miracle of all, the transformation of our soul, the forgiveness of our sins. Secondly, if you're here and you say, Judah, I've had some leaves dropping in my life. I've lost a bit of confidence in Jesus. And even as you're talking, I recognize that. I want to leave here with a growing confidence in Jesus and what he's done for me and the position he has granted me. If you need that today, would you shoot up your hand all over the auditorium and say, man, I need that. I need that. I need that. Include me in this prayer. God, you see these hands and we raise our hands because it's this external response to what we know is happening on the inside. And God, we thank you. We thank you. What you started, you're going to complete. Our confidence is growing and anchored to what you've done in our steps how ordered. We thank you, Lord, for your strength. Help us in the midst of such uncertain times to stand our ground as we walk out your will. We thank you for that today, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. If you're able or willing, would you, would you stand with us and let's join the band. Let's sing out what we know to be true about our God. Come on, church.